The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. That's according to new figures from Eurostat. With the renting crisis set to continue, we're going to look at what can be done to alleviate it. What's the current situation on the ground? And joining me to talk about all of this, Lorcan Sir, Senior Lecturer at TU Dublin and Housing Policy Analyst, and Andrew Rafter, Director of Flynn Estate Agents. Good morning and welcome to you both. Now, uh, before we talk to you, we want to bring a sample of some of the people struggling in the rental market at the moment. Kieran, our digital editor here at News Talk, Izzy from NUI Students' Union, and Rory, who's an older renter. I moved back from New York in September of last year and was lucky enough actually to have a couple of months' notice to get out ahead of the search for a room, but it was daunting. I mean, anyone who's had the misfortune of looking for a place in Dublin knows what they'll be looking at. I was lucky in that I eventually managed to get in with a former landlady after a little bit of trying, but before that, it was ludicrous. I mean, ridiculous, the quality of rooms that you're looking at, the size of them and the price. I mean, you're talking over a grand for something that's basically a shoebox. Uh, in fact, I've been in one before that was uh, actually only had three proper walls. The other one was this sort of prefab partition. It's, it's a landlord's market, plain and simple. And they know that eventually they will get someone at the rate that they are charging. And it is the renter's problem and it's not going to change anytime soon because the supply isn't there so i mean really at the at the crux of it it's really just a game of luck i'm born and bred in in dublin so about 10 12 years ago i decided to to up sticks and get out of the the city now it's primarily because i really couldn't find an affordable place to stay. So that, that's a story that everybody is well used to. So I figured that I'd do the whole hour from Dublin thing. And then and this is something that you can't actually legislate for. The, 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 the landlady is the most amazingly understanding human being that I've met in a long time. So we do hear stories about, you know, uh, rent gouging and price gouging on, on, on to, to try and maximise the, the amount that people can get from renters, this woman is the other way. So I think I, I, I was just lucky at that, that I found somebody at, at that point. The, the, the whole issue of incentives for, for landlords, obviously land, landlords have to be incentivized, as, as do we all. I mean, the, the second you get up in the morning to go to work, there has to be an incentive for that. This is about, this is about keeping body and soul together. And I'm all in favor of, of fairness and equity in, in, in this situation. But for some reason, uh, the Irish psyche has seemed to have morphed off in a different direction. And it's now not in, in incentivizing or just getting by or just paying. It's, it's greed. It is grab as much as we can. And again, we have to look to the government for that. They have set the, the rules in place, but they've set us all in opposition. I got stuck in an accommodation that was covered in mould that wasn't suitable for a student to be living in, that wasn't suitable for anyone to be living in. And I really, really struggled to find somewhere for myself, even though I work every single day um, in the Students' Union in University of Galway. Part of my job is to help students find accommodation. That's part of the remit. And to be put in that position than myself and to actually realise how incredibly dire the situation was. I mean, I was about a week out from having to stay in a hospital 
hostel and I was just incredibly lucky with where I found but if it wasn't through social media and knowing someone and connections then I never would have found somewhere in the end I possibly couldn't have. I mean I have students coming to me every single day with horror stories from digs, landlords kicking them out at the moment's notice and taking property and it's it's uh, it's the wild west out there. There's cowboy landlords taking as much money as they want um, because digs aren't regulated. And that, at the end of the day, is what really we really need is digs legislation and the building by the government of affordable accommodation because there's accommodation out there. It's just priced far too expensive. And that's uh, Izzy Tiernan in Galway uh, ending uh, those contributions from people who are trying uh, to rent. Now, uh, as mentioned that Andrew Rafter, Director of Finn Estate Agency, is with me in studio, Lorcan Sir on the line. Um, Andrew, what are you seeing on the ground? Uh, yeah, uh, good morning, Pat. I think the number of speakers there have, have hit a, a common uh, fact that we see from a day-to-day basis. Uh, each one of them correct in many ways. Um, I think the most important thing is the lack of supply that we're experiencing. Um, so it's a challenging market and it's a difficult field for anybody to be in uh, trying to secure their property. I think the reality is that the domestic landlord was probably underestimated and probably let leave the market at a, yeah. an incredible pace. One of the, the things you know that is not factored in, yes, they are leaving the market in droves, but the houses are not being knocked down or the apartments are not being knocked down. So someone else goes into them. Yeah, you know, so, so there, is, there a, is still the same supply in the market, not enough to meet the demand. But those houses, as landlords leave, are being bought by somebody else. Yeah, and, and essentially by homeowners, I suppose. So that is the good news story at the end of it. There are people. So does that mean homes. that effectively you have less accommodation because the homeowner buys it maybe for their family? So there's two adults and a child living in there. There might have been six young adults sharing that house, for instance. Yeah, absolutely. And each happy in that accommodation. Um, but when the landlord decided to sell the market because perhaps the the, let, uh, the agreed rent was at a level that was substantially lower, let's say, than market And this rent, is because so of rent pressure zones. Rent pressure the zones. legislation said you cannot go to market level. You've got to stay. If you were a good landlord and you were renting at a low price, you've got to stay there 2% per year. It used to be 4%, 2% per year. Yeah. You can add, but no more than that. Yeah, and I suppose it comes to a point where that landlord decides that this no longer makes sense for them financially to be in it. They may have had a previous tenant for a long period of time and they were quite happy at the rent levels that have been achieved and then all of a sudden it's capped um, through the rent pressure zones, which have worked to stabilise to a certain degree. But also encouraging that landlord then to place the property to the market. The people buying are homeowners and... um, the and the, the truth is, we, we know that the price of housing has not gone up proportionate to the rent that is being commanded. So for people who are paying rent, it often makes sense if they can get the deposit together to buy a house and their monthly outgoings will be far less than they would have been had they been renting. Absolutely, yeah. And we can see a lot of people itching to get out of rental accommodation if they're in that position to avail of uh, mortgage approval and then buy their own home. Like, for example, if we were to put say, 10 properties that are previously let to the market in the next couple of months. And we will see one, possibly two of them being bought by a landlord landlord who wants to go back into the business. So the owner-occupier is 
eating up those uh, properties released to the market. And as I say, that means if you have multiple occupancy in those apartments and then it goes down to, you know, a couple of adults and a kid, that actually means a reduction in the available supply. Correct. Yeah. All right. Now, the, the question is on your books. Do you have any brand new apartments for sale? Uh, no, at the moment, we, uh, we don't have any listed uh, for sale at the minute, no. So uh, do you know of any blocks that are coming to the market and being for sale? Because I've been looking around and trying to find in the areas that I'm familiar with blocks, new blocks that are going to be open to people who want to buy apartments. But most, it appears, if not all, are going to be for rent. In other words, that people are condemned to a lifetime of renting rather than the opportunity to buy. Um. Yeah, well, look, I think there's obviously planning um, issues there where a developer looks at the potential of a site um, and the planners want high density as opposed to lower density homes to be built. And ultimately, then the, the developer is looking at forward selling those or has been looking at forward selling all of those sites, which you now uh, mentioned that are coming to the market to rent. Um, so there isn't the opportunity for those to go out to the market and to be sold yeah, because, I mean, we talk about the density of occupation of houses that, you know, if you've got six adults sharing a house who are dumped out by a landlord who's selling and now only two uh, adults are occupying that house, that means there are four people looking for alternative accommodation. On the other hand, you've got maybe one adult or two who are elderly occupying a huge house but can't move because there's nothing they can buy. They own an asset. They don't want to be renting an asset for the rest of their natural life. They want to own an asset. There's nothing they can buy. Yeah, and it, it really does come back down to the, you know, the importance of the level of supply that we see. I mean, if we look to uh, December 1st, 23, um, listed for sale, and these are for sale units, obviously, but listed for sale, there was 11,100 units uh, for sale uh, nationally. Nationally. Uh, in ni- 2019, it was 24,200. So, so that demonstrates of, the squeeze. Yeah, I mean, it's an exceptional um, crisis that, you know, we can only see worsening on the day-to-day uh, on-the-ground experience that we see um, with these landlords continuing to leave. And I think, you know, really, we have to look at the immediate opportunities to maybe encourage mm. them to stay now, a lot of the uh, funds are buying in and uh, they're setting rents because of rent pressure zones. They can't make a, a low offer to get their block occupied. Um, they have to go with the rent that they hope to achieve on an ongoing basis. So often for a two-bedroom department, uh, it could be two and a half grand rental. Yeah. Now, that tends to set the marker for other people who've got older properties who are not as good, they're looking at two and a half grand for your man. That's a brand new property, A-rated or whatever. Uh, my um, dump, she might get 1,900 now, given that your man's getting two and a half. Yeah, but that landlord, you know, might be happy with 1,500. But if he's currently getting 1,000, it's not going to be sustainable for them. So I'm sure there, there are possibilities or options to achieve a middle ground mm. where uh, certain things can be done to incentivize yeah. that landlord. Now, in, in uh, jurisdictions, I've looked at a, a number of places around uh, Europe, uh, in jurisdictions where there's a plentiful supply of housing, the prices are much lower than ours. That's the reality. Now, you can take London, Kensington and so on. Of course, the prices are going to be higher. But by and large, when you look at averages across uh, cities in Europe, they tend to be lower than us. Yeah, and I think... Um, we're probably seeing a bit of a frenzy at the moment where people are nearly 
um, encouraged to jump at whatever available unit they can potentially secure. And that will also add to the, you know, the the one-sided um, level that, that tenants mm. are witnessing and okay. experiencing. Uh, Lorcan, sir, a senior lecturer at TU Dublin, housing policy analyst. Lorcan, what is to be done? Um, you know, the uh, Construction Industry Federation is claiming they could build 60,000 units, units, if you like, a year. Um, and the government's targets are rather maybe a little bit more than half of that. Uh, so supply is going to be you know, the issue going forward. Yeah, morning, Pat. I think, really, if you want to solve the problem, you have to understand what the problem is and what's causing these rents to be so high. The first one is the use of the government of the private rental sector for what would, for people who would traditionally have got social housing, so a HAP, basically. And they're spending about half a billion euro a year on putting an awful lot of people into the private rental sector and therefore, like, squeezing the opportunities for everybody else uh, to use the private rental sector. Um, I think the, the other issue is there's about 400,000, by my calculations, Pat, there's about 400,000 people in the tenants in the private rental sector who don't want to be there. They want to be homeowners. And what we've seen since 2017, since Simon Coveney's tenure, is that the amount of housing being built every year, the proportion of that that will come to the market. So in other words, and end up in Andrew's front window there uh, as new housing for sale, whether it's apartment or housing, has gone from about half of all new housing to last year about 28%. So in other words, there's less and less new housing out yeah. there for people who want to get out to okay. go and now, to now go The government had decided that it would move against those people who were going to buy you know, huge tranches of housing by upping the stamp duty. It seems, based on recent news, that that has not worked, certainly in the case of, of one estate. Um, so is there any way in which the planning process can be used? In other words, a developer comes along and applies for planning. And in that planning he or she has got to say, these are for private sale on a one-off basis or, you know, maximum of two. Because sometimes maybe parents might want to buy two apartments for two children or for 10 children or whatever who are going to be all going to college at the same time. But is there something in that that you can't wholesale flog blocks to, to hedge funds? Well, there's two different things. One is the selling and one is the, the, what the planning can do. So in, on the selling front, yeah, you're right, the government tried to stop that. But, you know, when the profits are potentially so large, increasing stamp duty doesn't seem to have made much of an impact um, on those on those fund purchasers. And remember, it's, the funds aren't just buying new blocks and funding new blocks. They're also out there in their droves buying secondhand apartments all over the all over the country. And we have to remember that too. The planning thing is interesting, Pat. Dublin City Council, I think a couple of years ago, put forward a proposal that to reserve 40% of all all new housing, whether it's a part, you know, all new apartments for sale, and I think that was challenged by it could have been the office of the planning regulator. But the, the other thing, and Andrew mentioned it, was was you know the idea of density that planners are insisting on high density. Actually, it was the it was the development industry who lobbied for all this, for lobbied for different standards for apartments and for higher density. And now, of course, it's coming back to bite them. I think the obsession with high density, see, building high um, pass and you know this quite high density, high rise stuff is very expensive. So what comes out the other end is also going to be expensive in terms of rents. So I think the obsession with density needs to be tempered hugely and diluted to get down to a reasonable level of, say, three or four storey apartments and housing that are affordable to build and therefore affordable to sell and to rent. So planning also has a role in it, for sure. Yeah, but what about the the planning laws, if necessary, to keep the regulator in his box uh, that says, listen, when you're applying for planning, you've got to specify the purpose for which, uh, you know, the, these units are being built. And therefore, 
the local authority can look and see what is the demand in our area. Do we have a demand for people who want to own their own homes? Or if we're, say, down in a, a Dublin city centre ward, we know there might be a huge demand for rental stuff, people who will move into the city and then in time move on, so that uh, the planners themselves can actually invoke the demand for the kinds of properties to which they give planning permission. Yeah, actually, so the, the interesting thing, the Dublin, inner city Dublin Ward is the place where you want lots of home ownership because they're the people who are being priced out of it and sent out to Westmead and then coming into the city every morning for an hour and a half uh, to work and then drive an hour and a half home. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it, there there is potential for the, for planning legislation to do that. I suspect it would, it would probably be challenged on the basis that you're interfering with, you know, people's rights to do it, what they want with their property, in other words, to sell it or, or to hold it for rent. The, the local authorities already know there's a thing called the housing need and demand assessment that every local authority is obliged to do so they will know in their area how many what the demand for different types of houses uh, housing is and um, what but they don't qualify it by sale or, or for rent but we know we know you can listen to Andrew there we know there's a huge demand for people to own their own homes in Ireland and, and you and I both know you know that our system is based on on home ownership um, but we're just every year we're just churning out on about seven and a half thousand new homes so as the amount of output goes up as Darrell O'Brien is on with you and he's boasting about you know output going up over 30,000, 33,000. The big question to ask him was, well, Minister, how many of those houses are actually going to come to Andrew Rafter's mm-hmm. estate agent window? Well, I hope he's house? listening because he's on with me tomorrow and uh, <laughs> he can tomorrow. prepare his answer right now because I remember uh, talking to Minister Murphy when he was the housing minister and he was saying there was only a handful of planning permission applications for uh, stuff for rent. And it turned out, of course, each planning application was for hundreds of units. So it meant a huge amount of housing was actually uh, going to be put into the rental market uh, rather than the home ownership market. And we know home ownership brings brings social stability and all of those kind of things. It builds communities, whereas uh, transient renting does not. Yeah, last year was the first year we ever built more apartments or more units, we'll call them, for rent. And that's social and private rent than we did homes for sale. It was the first year ever we did that. And the vast majority of housing that's being built in the four Dublin local authorities uh, is is apartments for rent. And, of course, what's happening there is that it's driving people who want to be homeowners farther and farther out to Westmeath and Longford and then in their cars and driving into the city to go to work. And, and because our public transport And then you've got great. Minister Ryan then screaming up and down, leave your car at home and take the train or the bus. Yeah, exactly. So, and where's the joined up thinking here? Where is the joined up thinking? Well, I've asked that actually of a piece in the Irish Times today, and I'm asking that very question about like why, where are the Greens on this? Like, I mean, they Eamon and I should be having a word with Dara saying your housing policy and your planning policy is creating unsustainable urban sprawl, the likes of which we haven't seen since America in the 1960s. All right. So um, solutions, Lorcan, uh, both legislative and practical physical solutions. What do you suggest? Well, I think one of the things that goes missed about why um, landlords are leaving the market is the age. I mean, the average age of a landlord is 60. And quite often, they're, so they and they've bought these properties as part of their pension fund, so they're cashing in that. And also their children, it's a bit like the nursing home sector, their children don't want to go into being landlords because it's, you know, it can be hard work. It can be seven days a week and it's messy work. It can be lucrative too, but it, it, they don't want to go into it. So that's, that, that is a problem. The tax is a problem. We haven't talked about tax, but, you know, we have only two classes of landlords in Ireland. One are the, the mom and pop landlords 
the small, you know, guards and teachers, etc. The stereotypes that we use, and the other, of course, are the large funds. And one pays fifty odd percent tax on the rental income, and one pays zero. And I think that's wrong. I think we need both yeah. of them paying about twenty five percent tax, and that would help with the landlord yeah. retention F- issue. F- finally, Lorcan, I want to ask you about this, and, and uh, perhaps Andrew has a view on it as well. I've been pushing, uh, falling on deaf ears, of course, the idea of uh, rating apartments. In other words you have a, a rent that you can apply based on the uh, how many square metres you have, the area it's in, and the level of insulation, for example, the BER, the comfort level of the apartment, in other words, how expensive it is or inexpensive it is to, to uh, energise. Um, why are they so reluctant to do that? So that people would have some certainty. I'm in Drimna, I pay this much. I'm in Crumlin, I pay this much. I'm in Montanati, I pay this much. And so on and so forth based on how big my apartment is and its location. What's wrong with that? They do that in several countries, including the likes of Sweden, where the local authority would pretty much set the rent. They don't They don't want to do it because they fear that it's seen as yet more regulation. But interesting enough, when you look around Europe, the countries with the most regulation in the rental sector are also the countries with the biggest rental rental sector. So regulation, I think increased regulation part on one side of the coin, if you if you put on the other side of the coin a reduced taxation or everybody paying 25% and not some paying 50 and some zero, one would soften the blow of the other. Uh, so I think you need to do a few things in tandem. But I think an NCT uh, for, for rental properties and alongside a methodology, a consistent methodology for setting rent, for me, there would be great things. All right. Lastly, uh, Andrew, I'll go to you on that. Yeah, uh, Lorcan's contribution there, I think, is 100%. And what he said about, you know, it being hard work to be a landlord, that's something that we don't say enough, really, in this day and age. I know it's difficult for tenants, but the reality is landlords do go through a lot of difficulty and it is something that we need to encourage them to stay in the market. And I reckon uh, at a 25% tax, uh, it would certainly leave people with the incentive to, to comfortably say that this makes sense for me to remain. And I think it's a, been a crisis, Pat, I think it's something that we need to talk about the things that can be done immediately as opposed to all the planning legislations that take some time to, uh, right. to change. Andrew Rafter, Director of Flynn Estate Agents and Lorcan Sir, Senior Lecturer at TU Dublin and Housing Policy Analyst. Thank you very much for joining us. Now- the Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.